and welcome to the Steam Power Podcast. Live from beautiful downtown Southern Maryland, it's time for the Steam Power Podcast, episode number 70. For July 26th, 2015, we are a bi-weekly, bi-weekly, bi-weekly <laughs> podcast. Except for last week. Except for last week, and <laughs> the summertime sucks. Yes. Uh, been a little busy. Been a little busy. Uh, we are going to bring you all the news on science, because that's an S, T, technology, E, engineering, A, art, M, I was going to go B. I don't know why I was going to say B. Steeb. Steeb. Steeb, the power podcast. Uh, M is for math or mathematics, so you... However you want to roll with that. And, uh, yeah. So we've been getting some feedback. We found some feedback that people are using our podcast in very interesting and cool ways. Yes. Yeah. I should, <laughs> I should say I'm Mike and you're Lisa, but no, we that's okay. But I think people know it. that by now. The, you know, you're, when you listen to this podcast, you know, you're going to get it steamy, steamy with Mike and Lisa. That's, that should be another, <laughs> maybe be they a, don't want to, that, that could be a third podcast. <laughs> To a very different audience. <laughs> different or not? <laughs> Brown jug. Um. So yeah, it, it is summertime. So staying. With yeah, schedule our, our schedule has been a little altered. We're with, going on vacations and going places, yeah. and so we apologize from the depths of my heart. I guess it's more in the middle. Um. Yeah. Sorry, we apologize. But we'll but try to stay on. It's summertime, on the, so you're yeah. you're just as lazy as we are. We know it. Well, we don't know <laughs> it, but we're pretty sure. So by the time the fall hits, we'll come back. We'll you'll be ready for because we have we found out one gen one gentleman named Sam Anderson is using our podcast to um, he listens to it and they get some ideas to talk about in his science class. Yeah, that's so really that's cool. cool. Yeah, um, I think my cool science feedback. teacher would have done that too. He was a pretty cool guy. Well, you know, cool people do that. So yeah. Sam is obviously the coolest guy, <laughs> one of the coolest listeners we have. Um, you will. I got nothing to talk. Well, do we have? Do we have anything? Do you think we want to talk about like products? Things, um, stuff. The only thing I can think of is product that we've ordered but not yet received, which is uh, what's it technically called? I call it the cat cam. They're called the Scout sixty six. Scout sixty six. It's it's a webcam. It's a Wi-Fi web camera with a speaker, with a speaker and microphone. Yes, night vision. Um, and then there's probably some code in there that's doing motion detection uh, and a thermometer, so you can measure the temperature. The idea was, which I think is sort of unnecessary, but yeah, but you can like if you're if you're well. So the idea is, let's first talk. It's a it's a camera. Basically, it's nothing fancier than most web cameras. Um, except that it's still there. You plug it in the USB just to provide it power, but you can put it anywhere in your house. And for our purposes, since we're going away, we want to spy on our cat, make sure she's not being too crazy. Yes. Um, and you'd be like, why don't you just use a regular camera for that? The, we were going to go with something called pet cube, but it's 200 bucks. And it was like, it was that, that it was that amount of money where it was like, yeah, well, and you know, the only difference is it had a laser, it did which have a laser. I will say if you have a cat, it is nice to yeah. have the laser to get their attention because they are not as auditory of a creature as a dog is sure. per se. You know, if you call a dog's name, typically they at least perk up or come to you or whatever. When you call a cat's name, 
if you like, get on the turn their head, you're doing something. <laughs> so they're pretty lazy. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, whatever. whatever. So, but we found the speaker thing is still is cool, cool, you know. Um, and and then the, this one is actually two way versus I think if I read it correctly, the pet cube you spoke, but you couldn't hear. you couldn't hear them back. I think. I could be wrong, but I don't have one. So if our cat goes up to it and goes meow, meow, we will hear her. We will hear her. Although I somehow back. doubt that's going to happen. But <laughs> Well, the nice thing is, so for half the cost, you two-way communication. And, uh, it's got and we wanted two cameras because for yeah, we want, you know, we there's a couple places that our cat typically likes to hang out. So we kind of wanted to, you know, catch her in one or the other. And hopefully no, she won't be smart enough to chew through the USB Yeah, she cable. has a penchant for chewing through cables, specifically Apple products. She has been really well <laughs> with Apple products. She loves them. She loves Apple cables, and she's chewed through her fair share of uh, what, charging cables. What do they and put in the Apple cables? It must be the, it must be the, the magic dust. It's, it's the Apple, you know. So anyway, maybe it's just it's a food. You it know, was supposed just, to be here today, but there's some issues. Like uh, I don't know if it's Amazon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Amazon. USPS <laughs> or who? But um, somebody so, didn't want to do their job today, and it didn't get here. It didn't get here. Jerks. That's you know yeah. part of life. So anyway, um, so I just did. I just wrapped up an episode of Gears of Resistance where I talked about some electronic stuff. So if you want to go look at some new things like the photon and the blue bean and the X carve. Yeah. I was, well, that's what I was about to say. I guess you could talk about your little board that you did with the X carve. Yeah. Since the last time we did the we'll podcast, that, like, this, this you had just gotten it, but you had not yet put it together. Fooled around with it. Yeah. So I finally yeah. got it put together. Um, worked out the kinks. <laughs> that was a little arduous. <laughs> It was more than three hours. Yes, whoever did a whoever YouTube does video three and hours, said three hours, I either yeah. does a lot of those things, or maybe I am just not as skilled as I thought. Maybe I they're was. on Doctor Who time. You know, um, it was probably a solid ten hours between all. The, oh, at least it was. It was. It 10, was a solid two days for sure. Yeah, somewhere about ten to twelve hours yeah. working it over four four days ish, four or five days. Yeah, um, it was. With that said, I do – I'm very thankful for the experience because unlike the 3D printer where if it were to break, I, I could figure it out eventually. By building the X-Carve, I, I get how it all comes together. So from having to repair – now, granted, I think the, uh, the CNC machine is a little bit simpler. Do you wish you um, had done that with the printer? Part of me wishes I had, yeah. I have to admit, I'm glad you didn't. Um, I think, though, that the, because that the is printer very is a lot touchy. more, right, <laughs> the, the, the Z-axis leveling is, I think, a lot more critical. You have to be very precise with that in order to get it yeah. to do its job so, properly. <laughs> maybe. Um, but I, I very much enjoyed it. It seems to work well. The X-Carve seems really well built. Um, there is. I have, do have concern on the. Um, so they use an, an app. They have a web app called Easel. Because it's in the browser and it requires the internet. Um, there's the, there are offline parties with the official support. So when you do your design file and you make like an SVG graphic or whatever. Yeah. Have you really said what the X card does? It's a CNC milling machine. It 
takes a little router bit, goes on the X and Y axis, and it can carve out things. It can be wood, aluminum, acrylics, foams, cork. I mean, X-Carve has a ton of material. I did it to do uh, PCBs, printed circuit boards, milled boards. And this was just a test one, so the, yeah, ignore the uh, the uh, hideous solder job. The actual, <laughs> after, once I got it Well, that down, was from the reflow through, right? Oh, no, no that was, yeah, was hand solder. That's right, yeah. By hand solder. But you did get to use the refluster too. If, if I had it screwed up and put in LEDs the wrong way, it would have worked and looked beautiful um, because I had to fix it. Um, so, yeah, anyway, long story short, I learned a lot of lessons. But I the X-Carve part of it worked fine. The X Once I figured out the, – so, yeah, the X-Carve itself never had a problem. Finding what dimensions to make the traces in Eagle so that it was wide enough. You know, yeah, these are overkill if I was doing a, a real circuit board. But to be able to mill something, you have to go thicker than you normally would. Figuring out all the settings, like how deep to make the cut and how wide to make the traces in Eagle, and putting all that together, I went through about 10 boards before I figured it out. But my last one turned out freaking magnificently. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy. for So, so you know, I'm, am I going to be doing um, production-type circuit boards on that? No. But for prototyping for doing like one-off things for like fun projects for stuff I do for like tutorial videos. It's going to be perfect. And I think it would be cool to do like your initials in it. That and would be pretty awesome. That's what so yeah. last night. This, this little board has, all it is is two LEDs. Um, Make a board design with your initials as the, uh, well, the cool circuitry. thing is you should, as you saw last night, and then we'll put a picture up is when you, cause this is a one sided board. So all the stuff has to be on one side. So the LED, so you you when the milling works, I mean it literally takes this there's a little thin sheet of copper. It rips that copper away to make the traces. So to make the the, the circuits part. Mm-hmm. They're called traces. The cool thing about that is that it makes it so much thinner, it even cuts into the the F the uh whatever the substrate is, some sort of plastic, a plastic or a paper based thing. It's plastic y. Um when you backlight it with the LED, because now it's kind of really thin, it glows through. You can actually mm-hmm. make you a can trace see the out. traces, yeah. And that that's like now my mind's like, yeah, it would be Ooh. really. Uh... What can you do with that idea? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna work on that. Um. Anyway, so yeah, uh, I I do like it. It is. Um. It was worth the investment to mm-hmm. pick that up, and um. Now I'm just thinking, like, what? Would it, like, the only thing next, like, I actually I take this back. The people that do X carve, because once you have the X Y thing done, right, and that's mm-hmm. predominantly, there are people that have taken the the drill part out and put in a laser and are doing laser etching. Really? So now it's just a matter of buying it. It's it's not buying a whole new machine. It's just buying a. Um, do the X carve people sell the actual part to do that? I don't believe so. I have no. to check, but I don't believe they are. Um, they're. That's a missed fingers. opportunity. Well, well, they got you know. It's they're learn. They're 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 fairly new business, and um, should said, sell like extensions should, to their product. Their you know, the easel. The easel. Like so the easel web app is nice. Let me go back to that point. So, I think on Friday though, either the internet was really slow or they were getting bombarded. But it, it bogged down really slow. Mm. And that's my only issue with a web base. So I think hopefully 
I like the idea of having you gotta have like a downloadable. I still think program. I'd rather have a downloadable one from. Them. Yeah. Um, because you have to down you have to download something anyway to to actually control the hardware. Mm-hmm. Get, so the website looks. So really why cool do you thing. think they did a web based as opposed to a downloadable program? Well, so here's the like pro to it. The yeah. pro thing, the, the neat thing about it is once I upload a design file mm-hmm. and I get everything set the way I want it. If I go to some other person's X-Carve, like I go to, like, say, Packspace had one, too, mm-hmm. I log into my account. I have all my design files there. So they're all oh, okay. So that is that is the cool trade-off. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it should be more like a Dropbox thing where, yeah, your your files exist. I was going to say, can't they have that in the cloud and just, but you know. the app so you can work. But anyway. I you know I'm I'm beating the people who are doing excellent work and I'm a nobody so I need to <laughs> shut up. Don't uh, say that, honey. What about you? Oh, it's okay. I, I know. The I truth. don't know my. It's summertime. I was just you. saying the cat cam. Yeah, I'm. I'm not as much of a producty person as you either. I mean, well, because I I use the business. You're, yes. Well, you're an engineer and you tinker with things and. That's not how, my how's our, bag, how's baby. Our, how's our Etsy page? Are we going to get ready for the fall? And yes, I do. I, when we get back from our uh, vacation that's coming up, I need to really hit my Etsy page hard because I've got a ton of hats that I need to put on it. And I'm actually getting quite a few hits, which surprises me. I only have a couple hats on there right now. but It's the summertime. Yeah, I am actually getting quite a few hits each day. So. At the beach, they're just sitting there going, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> You're still at it's super cheap galleys, right? I think yes, and I think honestly, the thing is, people will buy American Girl stuff, and being that I can knit the hats that it, fit the American Girls, right? I mean, people this will buy American that. Girl. This isn't American Girl. No, it's not American Girl. But if you were to so choose, yeah, they fit the American Girl dolls. I mean, they also fit the what are they called? Our generation from Target, and or they fit newborn heads. He realized, yes, newborns. they do. I'm just saying these aren't necessarily American Girl doll hats. They can be, but yeah, I think the majority of the hits that I get come from people searching. I for American Girl I'm clothes. Trying, I'm and just trying to prevent you from things. being sued by uh, Mattel, all right? <laughs> I really don't think they'd want to come after me for anything. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a little shindig of where we're at. You want to start jumping into some stories? Sure. All right. You have a lot of space I'm gonna do, I'm stories gonna do this, today, right? I'm going to do some space stories real quick. I get through mine real quick. Just rip through them. And then, um, yeah, then you can, uh, we'll do some of the ones that you found that are more probably fun and exciting. Well, I don't know about fun and exciting, but yours are better. All right. Uh, so let's start with the first one. Unless you've been sleeping under, um, I should probably find the right one, huh? So unless you've been sleeping under a rock or whatever you do, you know, now that humanity made it to Pluto. Yay. And we have got some awesome videos of Pluto. Um, and pictures, and it's it's going to take. They collected so much data in that, in, as it flew by, it's going to take it a year and a half to send all the data back to us. Wow, that's how much data it collected, and how far we are from. Yeah, uh, I think it's like it takes eight hours or more, maybe more, to travel that the the data to, to travel. Hmm. But we were successful. We uh, flew over Pluto. It we found things like it was larger than we thought it was. 
Uh, it has. How, how exactly does the data travel back to us? Is that via like satellites and things like that, or? Uh, so, so right. So it's got an antenna. You know, I know space doesn't have this big old Wi-Fi network. <laughs> no <wife> yet, <laughs> yet. But you know, it's, free Wi-Fi it in space. I mean, Wi-Fi is nothing but radio, <laughs> and this thing is used. It's so it's fundamentally, it's it's all radio waves. It's all yes. radio frequency. It's all RF. I mean, does it bounce? No. Bounce off of different satellites to come back to us, nope. or how so, does that work? So the way it works is it has an antenna that's aimed right at Earth, mm-hmm. and as we rotate, we have different uh, receiving stations, stations around yeah. the Earth that just keeps picking up the data as it, and it just as we go around the world as we. Rotate. Okay, so the data from the one antenna transmits via wavelengths to the other the station. It I got gotcha. you. spot okay. at NASA. So yes. Um, gotcha. Nothing more, nothing any more special than the radio waves that you use in the ham radio that your cell phone uses, that your Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth. At the end of the day, it's modulated differently, but it's fundamentally it's an electromagnetic wave. Nothing, nothing special, other than it is special because it's awesome. But um, we also found evidence that perhaps there, there's a lot less crater impacts which means potentially that Pluto is a lot younger than we thought it was, or it is still actually uh, geologically active, which means there may be like uh, plate tectonics going on or there may be volcanoes, hmm. potentially. Now we got to send another freaking probe out there. It only took, uh, I think it was just shy of 10 years to get out there. So it's pretty good. Well. Um, yeah, I think someone was like said, I forgot there was a, there was a good, um, there was a website that listed like everything that did not exist when, the New Horizons probe launched. Um, huh. I think, like, I think YouTube was on there. So when they launched, oh, it, wow. all these things didn't exist. I'll have to find that and share that. So anyway, if we launch another probe tomorrow, it will not get to Pluto for ten years to take pictures and stuff. Well, and that. So here's the thing: it may even take longer because the so way we launch things to get things there relatively fast is you've got to you've launched something, and then you've got to find. Before you make a launch, especially anything that's going beyond the Earth, you have to. Well, a lot of times we do is what we call it gravity assist, which means we we launch something and then we whip it around our planet. Then maybe we whip it around Mars. Oh, okay. Put it through the orbits to help speed I, it I up got you. Yeah. and get it on the right trajectory. So the problem is to launch these probes. You've got to wait until the you have to wait until the planets align are in a right alignment to give you enough velocity. So, like, if we had waited. Or wait for the age of Aquarius and all that. Right. We, it <laughs> when the moon than is in the seventh planet. <laughs> um, so until we and have, Jupiter aligns with Mars. It's not like Star Trek or like you know, ships today where, okay, if I'm going from point A to point B, I just put in the coordinates and I go straight. Space travel is, it's all relying on a lot more physics. It's not a direct okay. path. Um, so that was the big news. And I'm going to end it there. Um, so go check it out. New Horizons. Google it and look at all the cool photos. We uh, we have finally reached the dwarf planet. Uh, I think there's there, there's no movement afoot. I don't think we found anything to say that it should be bigger. Uh, it's about roughly about the size of Australia, so that should give mm. you an idea of, of how big Pluto okay. is. Uh, anyway, another probe. A couple months ago, we talked about Philae from the European Space Agency. Um, that landed on uh, a comet, churning men off. Gershmenko. Uh Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, with is it a its, Russian name? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it was two Russians that found the comet. Uh, it has its sister uh, spacecraft, Rosetta, which is orbiting it. 
We lost Philae contact. It phoned back home a couple days ago. And since I added this article into the thing, we lost contact with it again. Oh, okay. Um, what we think is that it, it didn't quite um, get directly attached to the, so it's kind of like it, it may be like drifting around and maybe bouncing oh, around. Okay. Um, or, or it hit something and the antenna is not aimed the way. So how do you fix that? You don't, <laughs> <laughs> you find another comment and launch another probe. We did learn something. So there was a lot of assumptions about comments that we found were wrong. Like we assumed that I think it was, we assumed it was going to be a much more um, gravelly mm-hmm. uh, kind of, of, of surface. We found it was actually harder. So the way they, um, so, so basically for in the future, we've like learned rock. a different way, right? It was more solid than we thought. So mm-hmm. we've learned of new ways to kind of um, a latch onto a comet we, or it's made us rethink about how would you latch a lander onto a comet? So, you know, is it, was it, did we get, were, are we getting all the science we expected from Philae? No. Did we learn a lot to help improve? Yes. No, that's good. Um, so that's been, that's been happening. Another thing, um, bucky weird buckyballs, maybe at the, the root of a mystery, uh, the Milky Way mystery. What is a buckyball? Buckyballs. So William Buckminster Fuller was a guy who invented the, uh, he was a designer. He, uh, designed, uh, it's a, a geometrical shape that, um, Kind of looks like, in the case of carbon, it looks like these little uh, uh, so- molecules. So- it's looks way, like a little molecule. It's the way molecules like. connect together. Um, and in this one, uh, it's may have found that carbon spheres, these buckyball things, may be actually very common across the universe, uh, and may actually be the original source of organic molecules that are key to the origins of life and evolution. Um, so there's this 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 huge uh, cloud of this buckyball molecules. So wait, are these things solid or gassy or liquidy or what? Oh boy, I would assume it's gaseous because um, they talks about it. They're found in the small Magellanic Magellanic. I know it's Magellan, but how do you say Magellanic cloud? Um, so it's a cloud. I don't know. <laughs> of, of, Magellanic of, sounds good to me. Yep, we're gonna go with that. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, if they're in a cloud, so they're probably gaseous. So anyway, uh, we'll quote it here. Uh, astronomers, uh, can focus on the dark lines and the specter of the lighting. So, you know, how we look through the light, we look at the light, we focus out our atmosphere and then we can tell looking at the spectrum lines, like what the material is. Mm-hmm. So the absorption lines are the fingerprints of, of left behind molecules, each of again, which absorbs different unique patterns of colors. And that tells us what the molecules, um, so we have found that potentially um, at the center of our galaxy, there's this kind of like, um, I guess, a, a kind of like a, a nursery of um, buckyballs, buckyball kind of okay. car, uh, this carbon. Um, and they're known as, uh, their cage-like sphere is known as C60, which is a molecule made up of 60 carbon atoms. Um, so what is the... Um what, what's the importance of this? Well, it goes back to that that they the because of their structure, um, they're able to survive in um, in extreme conditions, and the, and because they're so prevalent, that perhaps they are what helped seed it 
the organic molecules that then eventually led to life. So okay. the idea is um, we're, we're finding basically it's, it's going back. It's, it's pulling that string and asking what is the fundamental building blocks and how did life get started? Um, especially given the fact that, you know, the, the early universe was so hostile and so hot and so mm-hmm. uh, pressure and, and how did things, um, you know, even get to the point where life could even, and this is pre life. This is, this is building blocks to the building blocks of life kind of thing. Um, anyway, fuck Mr. Fuller, fuck balls. You know, it's, it, it's not just your 1960s, um, you know, dated <laughs> geometrical buildings that can benefit. Apparently uh, life itself benefits from buckyballs. All uh, right. Uh, the Dawn probe. So we've got our fix in um, from uh, Pluto, but we have another probe that's out with another dwarf planet uh, in the Kuiper belt called uh, the Dawn. New Dawn. Is it new Dawn probe or just Dawn? That's his Dawn spacecraft. So it's just Dawn. Um, we had a little glitch with it. Uh, lasted about two weeks, uh, but now it is back and it is uh, orbiting around another dwarf planet called Ceres, which is you know okay. Pluto is also now a dwarf planet. Um, Why did we not think this one was a planet originally, like Pluto? Because we that one we always, always knew, knew this one was, was a dwarf planet. Smaller, yes. Okay. Was, relatively to Pluto, it's smaller. Anyway. Um, there was a uh, mechanical issue with their gimbal system that swivels the ion engine number three, uh, which again crosses the spacecraft's orientation. And um, they had to make some fixes to that. Fired up the uh, ion engine number two to help uh, correct. And now Dawn is back uh, online operating uh, as usual, and it don't launch in September in 2007. So, so about- what kind of information are they hoping to get from this dwarf planet? Well, these spacecraft in general, the probes, um, we're just hoping to look at, we want to take pictures of them to see geological features. Um, and I don't know what other sensors or ones specifically are on board uh, the Dawn spacecraft, but sometimes mm-hmm. we'll look at things and try to like, we'll sniff like what kind of chemicals are made up, like what makes up the rocks. Okay. I'm just curious um, since, you know, these things aren't cheap and I'm wondering, you know, where does the decision get made where we allocate right. funds what, to do this science. instead of that so and yes, that kind of thing. There's a lot of, so NASA has a very, uh, and the European space agency and other, um, there, there is a very robust science, um, it's sort of a it's a it's a committee it's a democracy to a degree that people vote and decide. There's these committees that decide okay. where are we going to get where more valuable science, their funds right? Because right, okay. we can't do everything. Yes, exactly. Um, and I mean, <laughs> just my opinion, but I would think there would be money better spent on so, other so missions. So your question about these type of things. So what? Okay. Yes, like gotcha, what? Gotcha. What specifically so the value, are they hoping? to get from this information from this dwarf planet that will help gotcha. us? Where's the value in it? So, so dwarf planets in the Kuiper belt. Okay, so imagine back our star came into being the sun. Yes. Um, then there was a, you know, a bunch still of material orbiting it, which eventually over millions and billions of years coalesced into the planets. So things like, 
Pluto and the Kuiper Belt and the asteroid belts are the remnants, the leftovers of what eventually coalesced into our planets. Okay. So basically, imagine like you had, you know, you were building something, right, mm-hmm. out of clay, and you build this really big, cool thing, but you have all these little bits left over. Well, yes. Now, the thing that you've built is changed. If you want to kind of understand what the original building blocks were, you gotta you go look at the leftovers. So this is so things like the asteroids, the comets, the dwarf planets, kind of give us an insight as to what were the building blocks that made up our. But why not just go to one or two? Because they already have programs going to comets and asteroids, and well, you know, so, why do we need to try to go to so many to understand? Well, yeah, that? so there's a comp, so many because. It, it's probability, right? Yeah, not there's there's millions and billions of the, these asteroids and comets in our in our solar system. The chances that maybe you know maybe we go if you only sample ten, you know you may have missed a whole crap ton of other stuff. So the idea is by searching as many as you can, it's it's probability, right? It's just you have a more likelihood of finding something interesting. What are we looking to find? Well, in the a, how did our planet? How did our how did our solar system get built? How did our planet come to be? What was some of the original building blocks? And what's possible? Way so by studying these proto planets, you kind of understand because they're newer than ours. You can kind of see how do planetary how do how do planet systems evolve? How do planets evolve? Okay. All right. Um, thank you for sticking <laughs> around because we just got. My computer just died. Back after a computer glitch. Uh, all right. So I think that was a sign for we need to go faster. <laughs> yeah, I think so, so yeah. End the series one there. Yes. Um, NASA, we have another spacecraft that's going to Jupiter. It is now less than one a year away. It's called okay. Juno. Um, I think it's the size of like a small school bus, if I recall correctly from when I read about it. Um, it's a solar-powered uh, research station that's going to help uh, precisely map the gas planet's gravitational and magnetic fields um, and hopefully make some observations that will help us uh, understand it's uh, answering one of the most elusive questions, whether or not the planet has a solid core. Okay. A gas giant all the way through. Hmm. And that's about a year out from launch, or uh, excuse me, a year out from, from getting Jupiter. From Jupiter, yeah, um, it was launched. So, how long does it take it to get to Jupiter? From uh, let's, I know we said what uh, ten years for Pluto. Pluto, but Pluto is way out there. Yeah. Um, it was. This was launched in August two thousand eleven. So it only, okay. took, it only took about. Uh, so it's about five years. Five then. or six years. So, yeah. So yeah, Jupiter, Pluto was. Not, but again, remember, it's because not, it'll get there in two thousand sixteen. It's not just the straight line distance. To yes. Planets, it's the orbital. Thing. It's the orbital mechanics yes. of slingshotting. It could have taken longer. You know, the planets weren't aligned. So anyway, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. That'll be this time next summer. You'll get to go look at uh, Jupiter. Um, and so the last one I wanted to talk about space wise was second to last. Did I add another one? Oh yeah. <laughs> second to last. Uh, the, f- the first asteroid mining company launches its first satellite from the international space station. Okay. So we now have a private company that is taking, um, small steps to actually begin the process of looking at mining asteroids. All right. So this came from, um, planetary resources, um, which I think is the one that's backed by um, people like uh, Cameron, um, James Cameron and the guy. So from um, I got to cut in because. Sure, please do. 
I just have a problem with this in the fact that who says they own that asteroid? We've, who we've says it's their asteroid to mine? I know, and I just can't, I can't wrap my head around the legality issues of who determines who owns what in space. Right. So I think the issue or the way it is right now is that because there is no one has jurisdiction, that there's it's like no the other, wild it's west. The wild west. Okay. Which I don't think is always a bad thing. Stick your flag on it, and it's yours. It's yours. So anyway, now I mean, is everybody in agreement with that? Like country-wise, UN. You know, have there been talks about this or? There has been talk. There's. I know there. I know there is treaties about the moon. I don't know if there is treaties about other celestial bodies. So, what is the consensus with the moon that the, the moon Earth that, as a whole owns it, it? Right. That is that no one no one country can claim ownership of the moon. It is humanity's. So, wouldn't you think that because there's a precedent set for the moon, that that precedent would carry over into other celestial bodies? No, because no? here's the difference. That the moon, as far as I, you know, the moon does have some value. It's just because we can see the moon. Is that all <laughs> no. it is? Or. Um, Asteroids, though, have potentially other uh, much more valuable resources like gold and platinum and silver. So I think it's a matter of econ- right. It's capitalism, right? Yeah, the moon doesn't really matter because it, so it's, it's like California gold rush. But it's not really first come first serve. You know, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because the byproduct of that endeavor means that humanity gets to space. Oh, I don't think it's a bad thing that they're mining it. Don't get me wrong. I just. I guess I question who profits from something that isn't even yours technically in the first place. Right. That, that's what I'm trying to have. I'm trying to wrap my head around that, but I'm that's having way, a hard that is, time. That is way too deep for us. We had <laughs> a just, conversation. Yes, before. I know we have. I'm just, it's hard for me to kind of right. get where they think they come off saying it's theirs you know what just because they got to it i mean is is it just because they got to it first is that what country are they from what you know like that's the thing it's it's an international company right but it's a private industry it's private industry it's a private company so So could countries conceivably say hey there's money to be made in this right we want to send some people or probes or what have you to these asteroids to mine things to gain monetary values for our country. Potentially, but so what instead I, of private industry. Right. So what I think though, here's the more likely answer is that the idea of the modern quote unquote nation state is a fairly recent thing, right? We have always had countries and democracies and, you know, we've had a long history of different forms of government over time. What I think might actually be happening is that you're going to see the end of the nation state as a governing organization. And perhaps for better and for worse, don't, don't quote me as saying that this is something I I'm looking forward to is that the cap corporate structures take place over government, just like, I mean, because, well, here's the thing. I mean, look at the younger generations of people, right? Yes. People don't really ascribe anymore to national identity. People care less that they are from whatever country people, or let's say, and not to say that it's not important at all. What I'm saying is people are more 
identified by their products. People want to be known as being an Apple user or an Android user more so than they well, want to know that I'm uh, Italian or I'm American. I'm not so sure well, because not. that's actually a, a very sociological claim that you're making. I and am. We're getting, there yeah. has been numerous studies saying that's not the case. Okay. But, but I will give me the benefit of what I think. Maybe, <laughs> I don't think it is here today. I'm saying a hundred years from now when the, so as we, as this coincide, that somebody as asks you space, to describe yourself, you're going to say, I'm a mom or I work here or I'm an right. American or you're I, not going to say I, I'm an Apple user. I, I, I think, and there I have been many, many, many studies that prove years. that. Maybe and maybe so maybe and maybe the flips right now side anyway. is that now I'm not saying in the future that won't start to change, sure. but right now there you know it's maybe the nation state does represent a plateau and this is where we stay for a while. It would be a secondary form. It's what's called a secondary form of uh, personal expression, not your primary. Your right. primary would be your core values, which is what. You know, most people would say, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I'm somebody's son, I'm somebody's daughter. Also included sure. in that is your national identity. But, but back to the point of this article, right, to answer yes. your question. So here's the issue, though. Multinational corporations owe allegiances to many different countries because their employees are from all over the world. Yes. So as these, co- as these companies go out and start to mine, and then every country wants a part of their share – Companies will push back in order to remain profitable. So I, I'm just saying that be, what, the evolution of our governing structures and our society values is going to know not is going to change as we become a spacefaring race. That we will have to change given the new reality that we are not stuck on one rock. And so, I don't know how it's going to play out. It could go to this. You could go one way and way. It could be this corporate evil takes you know corporate governments, or it could be we could go towards a more Star Trek utopia. And there's actually an article I'll post it out that says that the Star Trek economics is actually more likely to occur than not, in that things concepts like money will go away. I mean, how long do we um, have before Google or Amazon is off trying to mine asteroids and profit off so of it people and that? Like that? These companies are backed by the people that own Google. Okay. So you could say by default they already are. Uh, so they're associated with. Right. I think okay. yeah, okay. Planetary Resources is is one of the backers, I believe, is um, like the James Cameron and the dudes from uh, uh, Google. So anyway. Um, this, it this, just it gets hairy for me when they try to sell this these resources to countries and things like guess, that you say from is, a private industry standpoint coming from something that right. the country could have argued, Hey, you don't own that. You know, just I'm, I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before the space issue is brought up in a sure, legal manner will. in court. Oh, it will be no doubt. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so let's talk about this person here, the Arcit three reflight mission, uh, it's going to spend 90 days up in space. It's going to do a couple things. It's going to test out uh, some avionics, control systems, and software, and it's going to start doing a little research on asteroids and start taking data on, you know, like what is the composition of some asteroids, which ones are more valuable to mine. So anyway, long story short, 
It went up with SpaceX, which is this private space company. It was built by this private company, and it's out there to do uh, mining for uh, capitalist um, purposes. Okay. To make, to make money is the goal. Um, now, how society benefits from that as a whole, yet to be determined. But this is, you know, this is the beginning. Yes, I know of, this is the future. Of I get that. mining. This is the, you know, this is, the future is here today. Um, yes, I do get that point. So, last story. Can I do a last story? This isn't the last story. Last space story. Then we'll do a, the, our real <laughs> stories. That's why I'm trying to get moving. Got to get moving. Okay. Um, Kepler 452b. Earth's bigger, older cousin. So NASA, um, on July 23rd of this year, using the Kepler Space Telescope, found a uh, the first exoplanet orbiting another sun, another star like our sun was discovered. Oh, no, the first one was discovered in 1995. This is, I guess, I don't know if there's anything special about it, but it's just another one. So what's the difference between an exoplanet and a dwarf planet? Well, so exoplanet means it's not in your solar system. Okay. So dwarf planet in planet is just this matter of scale. So you could have dwarf planets in other solar systems. Yes. The term exoplanet just means refers to any sol- any planet that's not a part of our solar okay, system. Okay, gotcha. So um, I guess... But these are planet-sized. They're just not in our solar system. Right. It's uh, two okay. separate categories. So exoplanet is meaning to show where it's located. <laughs> yes, dwarf like an exoskeleton. Right, is meant yeah. to, to represent... Side, it's it's two different things. I got you. Um, so I guess anyway, Kepler four five two B discovered July of this Is year. Is that the name of the planet? Yes. Why are they all called Kepler? Because they are all discovered with the Kepler telescope. So it's Kepler discovered with Kepler. Mm. Until we actually go to one of these places, we decide to rename <laughs> it. Just it just seems so random that. You know, it's Kepler 20E, 22B, 186F. Right. Well, it's like, there's really? A, there's, another, there's an international body that governs naming of, 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 interna- of astronomical bodies. So, is there? Okay. So this is kind of like... But we, they don't govern who uh, owns... Well, so this is like the scientific... Right? This is like the scientific... We found that we need a way to be able to talk the same thing. So if you discover it, you can give it this kind of scientific nomenclature. Mm-hmm. Now, if we want to one day name it like Vulcan or Kronos or something cool sounding, that's when it has to go through that international name okay, to make it gotcha. something more than the nerd speak. So if these aren't in our solar system, how long does it take to discover these? Not long. Not we're, long. We're constantly, we're con- I mean, look, I mean, we're finding, we're finding, I think like just in the last, just in the last Maybe year, it's just, maybe I'm having a hard time visualizing Something well, being out of our solar system yet still close enough to closer than say Pluto right. or Jupiter or you know even though they're in our solar system. No, so these things are are way outside. These are all orbiting other stars. These are like okay. I think Kepler four five two is I think they said fourteen. Yeah, we can get to them away. quicker than. No, you can't get to them. We're, so the way okay, we're that's, them, that's what I'm. These are these are artistic concepts of the planets. These are okay, all right, all right. So we haven't actually been to these planets. No, no, no. So okay, that's where I'm is, getting confused. What we're doing is we're taking a telescope, we're pointing we're at the star. See, okay, right? we're identifying them. And what happens is as that planet moves across that the, the, the sun, the, the, that star, yes, it dims that star just a little bit. Okay. 
And so they're measuring that. They're measuring okay. how much it dims is tells you how big that planet is. Okay, I gotcha. How fast it's moving. How do they know it's not just an asteroid or a meteor? Or... Because it's big. Asteroid. Man, those things it's classified by size. An asteroid is is and again and, and not just size. It's it's orbits and and whatnot. But um, our telescopes are getting better. But right now, I think we're pretty much limited to only being able to really pick out. Yeah. See, planets. this is that area of astronomy that just loses me a little bit <laughs> it's <laughs> because it's awesome. so far out there conceptually from what the you know the confines of our brain thinks about solar system and things like that so it, it right. just kind you've of got to say you've got you to really think outside the box stop being such a soul solar system person and start thinking there's <laughs> other solar systems um Anyway, so I guess the answer to your question of why we're starting to find so many right now is I think this Kepler is a fairly new telescope, and we're getting ready to launch um, the Webb telescope. So what happens is, you know, we had the Hubble did a great job, but as we launch new telescopes, there's new every couple of decades, mm-hmm. there's new technology, better imaging capability. So what happened is as these newer telescopes came online, now we're being able to go out and capture more. So are these planets all in the same solar system? No, these are all different solar systems. They're all in different solar systems. Yes. Really? We're, we're finding – and remember, these, the planets we're finding, these aren't, not, these aren't just all the exoplanets. These are the ones that are most likely to be in the habitable zones, which means they most likely could contain life. Oh, okay. So when NASA points out these guys – yeah, we found tons of exoplanets. What they're pointing out is the ones that are most potentially Earth-like. Okay, gotcha. Um, the distance from their star that they orbit is given, right, the distance from similar their star, to Earth from the sun. Given the size of that star. Because Except that we can't see what's actually on the planet it could be barren right but we can we can do we can do that again we can we when we look at it we can do that spectral analysis and we can kind of guess at what type of chemicals are in make up its at least its atmosphere which hmm. again helps us okay yes i mean all this is is about whittling down the list of possibilities right it may not be an exact it's not an exact science until we actually get out and explore yeah but this helps of all the billions and trillions of potential planets so, to visit um, this help us, helps little down. Is there anything in the pipeline to actually try to go to one of these planets? Or is that so far out of our reach yeah, right now that we can't even think right. about doing that? Right now, there is nothing really. I mean, you got to think the Voyager spacecraft that we launched in the early 70s, um, just within the last year or so, Broke through of our own solar system. Yeah. Which means, you know, it, it's like it just walked out the front door, which means to get to like, you know, the equivalent of going to China, it, that would be thousands of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the okay. issue is we have to, that's where NASA spends a lot of money on propulsion technology to, to get serious about um, interstellar travel that is travel between the stars. We are way not there yet. Okay. I mean, we're, we're just, we're still struggling how to figure out how to get to Mars on a reliable okay. uh, time. So yeah, this, this is something that it's going to probably be our, you know, great, 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 grandchildren's snakes. This is way down the pipe. Unless of course there's some breakthrough. I mean, the thing is it's hard to guess someone could come up and really invent the warp drive. Um, 
and it reduces the travel from here to another star in the matter of days to weeks. You know, it, those kind of breakthroughs. While we don't, we're, people are working on it, but I don't. You know, there's no sense that it's eminent or anything's eminent. But that's the hard thing of predicting about breakthroughs is that you kind yeah, of you don't know. know until you get to the point um, where it is a breakthrough. But no, right now. You know, the first planet we're even going to land on as, as a species will be Mars, hopefully sometime in the 2030s time frame, 2035-ish. Okay. So we're, that's, you know, we're creeping along. And I think that's it for the space start. All right. Shall we uh, jump into the okay. uh, other stuff? Jump into the other stuff. All right. Hot car deaths can be prevented with this new even flow car seat, a Walmart. Yes, that's Exclusive. the you know what that's the only part of this story that rubs me the wrong way because I think the car seat itself is a great idea. What it does What does it do, Lisa? is you know, you obviously you put a baby in it, you're going down the road. When you turn off the ignition of your car, it sounds an alarm to let you know that something is in the car seat. I'm assuming it has some sort of a weight okay. you know, kind of component to it that you know, if something's in the car seat, it will set off an alarm, you know, like a ding, 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 or, right. you know, something akin to backing up probably that, that kind of alarm to let you know that your baby is in the back seat. And this has been, you know, I'm not even sure why it took this long to come up with something to help this well totally preventable sure. infant death situation. Can I, can, I mean, can I be the, the jerk in the room and yeah, tell you why ahead. it hasn't? Every year, it is estimated that 38 children die. That's 38 too many. I, this is me being – and please don't hold this against me. I, I know. I mean, but I know what you're going to say. From a from – a, I mean – From a monetary people, standpoint and all that kind of stuff. Think about how many people – You know, the money's not in it to invest. Car accidents. And yes, from, and we are working on things to try to prevent right. that. Correct? I, I, yeah, well, and my point is my my point is that this seems to be a relatively simple technology. Oh yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. This is not a complicated thing. So why it took somebody right. this long to come up with it kind so, of blows my mind. Though, though simple. Let me, let me play it again. This is me, Mike, being an engineer. And you got to remember that 38 children die, but how many kids are left in right. a hot that car that don't die, that have that problems survive. down the road from so it? So yes. here's, here's the economics of it. And this is, this is you know, it's kind of as we only have ourselves to blame, right? You go, you have, you're having a new baby. You're probably a young couple. You don't have a lot of free, uh, ex, um, not expendable income. Um, yes. Disposable income. You go into Walmart. You see this even flow thing. For well, see, that's what rubs me the wrong you way about see, it only being a, a, at Walmart. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. That does rub me, but to the lesser point, eventually it's not going to be. I guarantee you. It rubs it me the be. wrong way because most people but go into Walmart to buy a cheap missing, car seat. Right, you're missing the point. Not right. a hundred fifty dollar car seat. Are, when you are when you have on it, you're going to see an eighty nine dollar car seat or the one forty nine, and unfortunately. Probably a majority of the time, even with the whiz bang, because what you're going to tell yourself is, I'm not like other parents. I'm going to take good care of my child. Yes, and, and you know I what? Will save the sixty dollars and buy something else. And you know what? We, you know, unfortunately, this happens. I mean, it hit close to home 
for our community last year when a guy left his infant in a car seat in the back of his car while he was at work. And, you know, it's a tragic, tragic situation that, you know, I happen, I didn't know him very personally, but I did know of him. And, you know, from all accounts, he was a great guy, not the kind of, you know, their family was very tore up by it. So this can happen to anyone, anyone. Right. But in, like everything, though, we always I know it's, it's not going to be I, us, right? I know that. School but shootings, that's what rubs me the wrong shootings. way about it only being sold at Walmart because they that's should the- branch it out. You know, like you said, people go into Walmart and they're going to say, oh, there's a cheaper car seat. But people who are going to spend more money on car seats typically don't go to Walmart. They go to Babies R Us or something like that, and they buy the Britax car seat. And I don't think it'll be too long before manufacturers like Graco and Britax have something similar. It's just even flow, I guess, happened to come up come up with it first. Right. But, you know, I just wish that they would allow it to be so, you know, I think it's kind of greedy for it just to be sold at Walmart. They're trying to profit off of people who they know are going but to see this what, as a necessary expense. I, let me play devil's advocate here because I'm reading through this and I don't see it one way or the other. But what if like, you know, because so, it says here, it's a, this, you know, puts, there's obviously car seats that sell this price already point already. Oh my gosh! Yes, we right. paid so three hundred dollars for you know, our car what if, seats. Say Walmart, here's the thing, like, what if Walmart was subsidized? That was ten years ago. Like, hey, we'll, we won't sell as much. We won't try to make as much profit off of this one. We'll sell it at cost or whatever. Okay, as a good deed. Yes. Your, I mean, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying hypothetically. I don't know what the deal is behind why they got the exclusive on it. It would not change my mind because I think they need to allow other retailers to sell it. It's not like even flow is a brand that's only sold at Walmart. It is sold at other major retailers too. target babies are us, you know, Kmart, all the other, just trying to give our corporate overlords a little, uh, you know, and, No, I mean, honestly, I think it is a case of somebody got the idea to partner with Walmart and say, hey, you know, you sell our car seat, we'll give you exclusive rights to it. And that rubs me the wrong way. I don't see that in there, so I can't say that for certain. But it just smacks of that to me. If this was some other store, I would agree. Because here's the thing, like Walmart... Is Walmart has plenty of exclusive things, but but they're also notorious known for driving a hard bargain. Like yes, they I will they, they want to yes. sell it at the lowest price. Yes, no matter what. So they'd really drive hard bargain. So if they were, so if if even flow, but uh, but I would rather this, this be sold at other retailers at a higher cost. Okay. You know, like if Target wants to sell it and they want to sell it for one sixty nine, let them. And then let the people decide whether they want to go to Target and buy it for one sixty nine, or they want to go to Walmart and buy it for one forty nine. Well, I guarantee you, in a couple months, this maybe week. Babies R Us wants to sell it for two hundred bucks. Great for them, but give people the option They're, of going to another retailer 
to buy it at that price point. And Walmart should trust that people will say, hey, we've got the same seat for $50 less. Come buy it here. Hey, well, I'm going to let you have the last word because I am not going to get in the way between Mama Bear. I mean, the thing of it is it's it's a it's a breakthrough in technology when it comes to like you know, car seats and things like that. Typically, Babies R Us kind of has the market on that kind of stuff. So I was honestly surprised that if anything, it wasn't a Babies R Us exclusive. Because typically, you go there for the higher end car seats, like the Brytax and the like. But, you know, for whatever reason, I'm at least glad that they have it out there as an option for people. All right. I'll let you have the last word. Yes, I'll, I'll uh, drop that. Uh, how music training alters the teenage brain music training initiated during high school might hone brain development. Well, so, and this, and this honestly, I think they need to expand this to say music training period alters brain development. The thing is they only did the study on high, high school students. So the, the point but is, I would say, Hey, it carries over to your elementary and your middle school kids too. learning to play music helps Basically, here the, the point of the article it helps is, your brain learn right. to learn. So and so, here's the thing: is that it helps. They say uh, sharpen your hearing and language skills. So the point yes. is, we're making a big fuss over teaching English and making people better with their English. Uh, it's like <laughs> I English. Well, see, I didn't play. I didn't play this. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so therefore, to do that, I, honestly, should, I say we were making a bigger fuss over math right well, no, now. So well, but. English and math, right? Is the two yes, things. English and math, because they are the two standardized so here, right. test subjects. So here's the point: that is that our most... our logic is the only way, the only way you can do better that is by us teaching that more and more, and only having yes, math. and that's wrong. Versus, you need to realize that things like music and art classes actually benefit the learning of the other skills that you're trying to. Yes, you're trying to teach. absolutely. So, Basically, people say, oh, we can't afford to do art classes and music classes anymore. The point should be you can't afford not to do. Yes, they're um, doing a big disservice. And, and art classes. What, what kind of saddened me was I think it's later in the article where it talks about the students of the lower economic school, you know, rain schools. Right, we'll get cut first. Those music programs get cut first, and those are the kids that could really benefit Benefit. from this. Because, you know, kids that have parents of a higher socioeconomic class are typically the kids who have music lessons of some sort, even if it's not in school. Yes, even if it's not in school, they will go out and seek it just because it's a culture type of thing. So those kids are getting it a lot of times regardless. But the kids in, you know, schools in lower socioeconomic areas are not getting even the chance to learn music or play in a band because it got cut for them because those kids are also the kids that scored lowest on their standardized tests for math and English. So now we're saying we need to cut out these programs so we can focus, get those right. kids caught up, but that's not the answer. It's, right. It, it's one of those things. It's, it's the, the, it's a counterintuitive answer. Yes. Um, but thankfully this is a study from Northwestern university, which you know, they're kind of reputable. Yes. Um, and I mean, it's one of many, this is certainly not sure. the first study that has said that music is right. it helps with very your, instrumental in your brain. Right. Yes. So here's the problem here for us in the United States. Um, 
if I if if I had to bet money in the in in, in fall of two sixteen fall of twenty sixteen we're going to be going to the polls to vet, elect our next president and I think it's going to be one of two choices. <laughs> God help us. It's going to be it's going to be you know this is my gut. It's going to be Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush. It's going to be my gut. Right? I'll agree to disagree with you, but okay. Both of them support Common Core. Both are big Common Core believers, right? Yes. Common Core for most of us parents. Also, should be pointed out that Hillary Clinton is the brainchild behind No Child Left Behind. Right. So, the things the Common Core is the driving force that has helped get rid of this, um, you know, arts and sciences and focusing of standardized testing because we got a guy knows we can't. You know, well, God, and you know, a lot of that's pushed how, by No Child Left Behind. Right. I, I you know, my point. And is, yes, the Bushes are aren't exempt from that criticism so either. What because do we do here? They in the hailed US. it too. Right. So here's the thing. So here, how do we in the U.S. parents who are living this on the front lines push back and say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to have an issue next year because both of our mo- likely uh, presidential nominees um, are, are supporters of the things that the kind of antithetical to." Um, what we all know gut feel wise and what now colleges and universities are researching that um, this hell bent desire to, to eliminate arts and, uh, from schools is actually having the exact opposite effect yes. of what people intended it for. So what do we do? What do we do? Mrs. PTA? Uh, you know, uh, I wish I knew the answer to I, that. We take our kids out of school and go all. Well, that's what a lot of people have done. That's, I mean, the homeschooling, you know, the homeschooling parents out there, that is one of their big criticisms of public school is that they want to be able to teach their kids a broader curriculum. Yes. And I understand that completely, but yet, I mean, there are a lot of parents out there, working parents and things like that who just can't homeschool. There is the gut inclination that what is the social, you know? Yes. Although I think, I think a lot of homeschooling parents are trying, but that that was a problem years ago. Right. I think nowadays there are a lot of meetups and things like that for homeschooling kids. It requires, it requires a lot of commitment. Yes, it does. It requires a lot of commitment from the parent. parent. Yes. Like your point is lower income. So, you know, Either single family, single parent families, or lower income families. Even parents, a lot of times, they don't right. have that luxury because both parents right. work. Or if it's a single parent household, that parent works. I mean, a lot of these kids, you know, when they're not in school, they're on the street. So it's or in the country as they are down. <laughs> it, you know, it's honestly, it's such a sad thing because I wish that. The, no, I don't even want to say the educators because it's not that. I think most teachers agree with this line of thinking. And honestly, I think a lot of teachers dislike Common Core because they feel that it's shortchanging the students. Well, but yeah. I wish that the top brass at Board of Educations in states and at the national level, I think part of the problem is a lot of them are older and they have been so far removed from the classroom that this is a different generation. They don't understand this generation of kids and the needs of kids today. And I honestly, I think that's where the disconnect is, but how do you fight against that? Uh, You know, 
I think there, baby. there are lots. Yeah. I mean, there are, and there are lots of people trying to do that, but the teacher's hands are tied if they don't want to lose their job. You know, they can't fight against it too much because they're going to end up losing their job and then that's bad for their family. All right. Let you have the last line again on that one. Next well, story. <laughs> studies. I'm going to do this one real quick. Studies find genetic signature of native Australians in the Americas. Cause I read through this one. Too. Okay. It actually interested me. So here's the thing. There's pretty much consensus that uh, humanity. <laughs> I love that sentence. And it doesn't change the big picture, but it's not clear how it got here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so here's okay. the story, right? Um, <laughs> researchers looking at the DNA of Amazonian tribals and the natives of South America have found a lot of interesting genetic DNA markers from people that would have considered um, Aboriginal Australians, people from the Pacific. So we're like, Hmm, how did this DNA markers show up in, you know, people that have been assumed uh, a not to have ever interacted with each other. Yes. Um, so what we're finding is, okay, we all agree pretty much that humanity started in somewhere in Africa and then um, being our nature to be explorers, we started jutting out. We went through Europe over to Asia. Um, and then that's kind of actually interestingly enough from what I've read. And again, I'm not a, any sort of, uh, what's it? Uh, what's ap- what's the word the type of researcher? Uh, uh, APRA. I don't know what you're trying to say. Anthropologist. Yes. Or, or, okay. Or right? <laughs> Type of yes. researcher. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm an, I'm an electrical engineer, right? So um, my understanding is that we all, at least when I was in school, we were also, the, you know, people that lived in Asia and Siberia came over. There's the Bering Strait. They moved down and through Alaska, then eventually yes. migrated down, right? Yes. So one school of However, thought- there was at one time the thing where all the continents were connected. Pangea. Pangea, well, that, that yeah. was millions of years ago. Yes, we're, that was before humans, humans were known to have existed. Right. So this is this is like the 20,000 years ago kind of time frame we're talking about right now. Okay. So the consensus was there's the, so the original thought was it was just it was a gradual migration over for many years, many mm-hmm. over, you know, tens, hundreds of years. Um water the Bering Strait in the last Glacial Maximus, as they call it. Um, what we're finding now is actually, you know, we, or here's the so that was the original thought. It just it happened over time. Uh, what we found in studying DNA and some other, uh, you know, archaeology was know that it, apparently it was like this a very short period of time where there was just this big mass migration. Now, how did they have genetic markers to tell where you're from? So, with their, right. So here's the thing. So you study this people over here, right? Yes. Everybody and their brother has this genetic marker. Okay. Yes. Here, right? Yes. So what you do is you, and it's just like the spectral analysis, right? With the light. so you make an assumption. So what you say is well. If 99% of the people have these genetic Yes, it's statistics. I guess that. Yes. And then you go over to this other group of people that have, for the most part, have very different DNA markers. Yes. But you find find patterns in there. Like, like, huh, those patterns, though not complete, do match. Okay. So what they're saying is these folks over here that we thought were kind of – Maybe it's just that they're similar but not necessarily definitely – from Australia. Well, because so. I would argue that, say, a Hawaiian is very similar in race to, say, somebody from Guam right. 
or, you know, any Indonesian island or, you know, I think the island peoples do have very similar racial markers. Right. So, well, for genetics. So here's where we are at today. So I guess DNA biologists, people would disagree that that these, that, that being related, no, that means that you have a common ancestor, right? Okay. Um, so where we're thinking So they now, could look at my DNA and right. tell specifically not all well, well wait no but how far does this go back That's the thing that's part of the research is is how far can Could they back? Yeah I mean that's what I'm asking can they can they tell where my original ancestors I mean, don't we all kind of date back to the same Mesopotamian civilization you know right, that's like, the thing so that's, far there is there is some level wait so the, the idea is you're finding you're finding patterns that so right from the European perspective people that have that have lived you know if you were to look at people that live in Europe because we yes. are both European descent right um, they would look at our DNA and go okay where is your markers most closely match it's all probability. And it's you know, but then wouldn't we still have markers from that Mesopotamian descent yes. too? So right there. So the point though is that and it's kind of fascinating how they can really nail that stuff with so the, genetic this story research. though shows that so the current with what they're getting at now with this group that again Australia, which you think okay maybe they just rode across the Pacific, but well that would be kind of difficult back of, in the day. Well, and the thing is, <laughs> it's not like they had. Ocean liners That's a or lot anything of people, like that. Right? To, to make an impact into a large population DNA-wise, it can't just be one low lone rower unless he was like really, uh, you know, he was just the Mac Daddy gigolo kind well, of guy. Well, where in the America? I mean, the Americas is a broad. Are they no, saying, South America. So okay, saying, so this was found in South America. We're saying Amazonian tribes okay. have a very, very um, – certain Amazonian tribes have, very, have, a, have a lot hmm. of indicators of, of – Aboriginal Australians um, DNA markers. And see, you know, in in my mind, I would think they're very similar racially as well. Well, that's, yes, because they are related. So the the current research says that. But that that to me doesn't necessarily say, well, they're from Austria. (laughs) That's what they're saying is that, no. So the direct, they're they're not the direct descendants. So what, what the current research is, let me get to it, is that people that lived in Australia, and some of the Pacific Islanders actually migrated onto mainland Asia, moved up into Siberia, and mm-hmm. actually there was what we think now was a second mass migration that occurred after um, the uh, the first migration that that led to a lot of Native American tribes that that people that lived originally in Siberia and Asia that made a lot of the tribes of these certain tribes down here that have markers to the Australians we think now came in a second wave um, and that they had uh, their, so the people that lived in Australia, uh-huh. their, uh, their progeny lived up in Siberia. Yeah, it would make more sense to see them in Canada. They died off. What's the thing? They died off as they migrated. So basically there is you now know, across a, mis- the Bering Strait there is a missing link. There's a, what they think now is there was a group, if we could, if there was another people, another today, missing link, huh? <laughs> That that people that migrated from Australia lived in Siberia and then over time migrated down into the Americas. 
Um, so then why are they focusing on the Amazonian tribes? Why wouldn't they say there's people in, you know, Canada who have markers no, and people in Australia? They and found are they, they saying that's found. as far south? Oh, so they haven't found exactly. that. Exactly. No, that doesn't make they any sense. Found, they have found in these Amazonian tribes. So they just went down to that area and stayed so there. So collectively, that's that's why there's okay. they, there's a second migration because they didn't right. Otherwise, so they, they didn't were, stay in Canada. They didn't stay in North America. They migrated that's down. The thinking is right. Is like right if to had, South if America. Had, if they had come over all together, or they had stayed anywhere, they would. That is a lot. Yeah, but can you imagine that? Commingled and that, DNA would have. I mean, that is a long way to migrate. Right. Do that's, they really think that yes. that's what they did? Yes. I mean, yes. That's, that's, a, that's a long way, over, geographically. Over many, many, many generations, you got to think. That My gosh, though. I mean. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there because, again. Yeah, that kind of blows my mind. DNA, <laughs> uh, Honestly, that does blow my mind. So that really it does. Um, and we are way over time. So Chrysler uh, is recalling 1.4 million cars <laughs> because a hijacker, uh, hackers can hijack them. Wasn't there another car company that just recalled a bunch of cars too? I want to uh, say it was Jeep. This is Jeep. So oh, oh, okay, is Jeep. okay. So here's the so my we've bad. Had, so we've had um, academic papers. We've had conferences given on theoretical how you could hack a car and mm-hmm. commandeer it. Some cars systems are not very tightly integrated. Yeah, what would um, happen if you hacked so the car? This so in the Fiat Chrysler automobiles, apparently there is a security flaw where the radio system that is over the Wi-Fi, that over a cell network into mm-hmm. your phone. So you have internet access basically, right? Like it's the called, Bluetooth part. Well, no, that would be for your phone. So in, in the Fiat cars, they actually have a their you their their cars. They they have a thing called UConnect service. Which is in some of the newer cars that goes out to the internet and, and it's actually so it gives you Wi-Fi. It was built into enabled. your car. So imagine like imagine if like you had Spotify or audio built into your car. How would you get the signal? You would have to build the, the internet. You'd have Doesn't to Ford have that too? No. We no. Have, we have to. You have to rely on having a, your smartphone be the intermediary between your car. I thought it was built in in their thing, and you could, like Sirius and all that, yeah. and you could get it through no, their. Thing. That's XM radio. No, this yes. is this is actually no. This is internet. This is the internet okay. actually comes in. There is apparently a vulnerability to where, um, because it's the IP address thing, right? They're, your car is given an IP address. Um, the Jan could, Cherokee or Dodge Durango. I could sit at my computer. Those are pretty popular cars. I could sit so. in my car, and I now again the reality is I'd have to know what IP address you had, um, and I couldn't just just randomly IP addresses. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, there is a vulnerability where they could because again you're coming in through this UConnect, which is an entertainment center, but and not they of course they didn't ex- share what the exact vulnerability is. But they were oh, able, of course not, <laughs> um, to then cut the transmission. Oh, that's not a good thing. So the car, right? Wow. Here, so, um, so how did they figure this out? Um, so from what I understand, did one of their people do it, or did it actually happen to somebody? No. So someone, so an independent researcher showed this to Wired magazine. Did this? So Wired did an investigation. So somebody did this wrong. to show them yes. this could be done, but it's. 
this they haven't had any reports of passengers where this has actually happened to them. Correct. Okay. I, I gotcha. Right. But the thing was, so previous... They just, somebody just took it upon themselves to say, hey, I'm going to show you that I can hack right. your automobile, and they did. So for, for there's been stories of this for many years where it's like, yeah, you could You got to wonder how many people would actually do this. Though. Well, the thing is, like, in, in the past, it was like, yeah, if you physically had access to the car, you could get in there and make something. And then it was like, well, yeah. yeah, if you were within like 25 feet of it, you could, you could overpower some systems. This was the first time where someone, it was more than just hypothetical. Someone said, no, from anywhere in the world, if I can get that IP address of that car. Huh. So this was like, Oh no, this is a, this is something that could potentially actually really. So you got to think of somebody at Jeep so Fiat or Dodge or whatever, Jeep and Dodge had an OS moment where they were like, crap, we've got these IP addresses on the internet somewhere or something like that. So could some, did, how did they do it? Did they hack into like Chrysler's computers? No, they're hacking directly into that. No, I'm saying to get the IP. How did they get the IP address? That's that, that is the crux of this, of the hack problem, right? They didn't share how they did that. Well, no, no. So, in this and did, case, I mean, they got the IP. So I mean, I'm kind of glad they didn't because then more people would probably. Right. Sometimes bringing this stuff to people's attention, it you actually get more negative I attention because of I think, it. I think in the long run, it, you're always better off. Yes, you are. So anyway. But some, then you get people going out there saying, well, I want to try to do this. Um, anyway. That's why I was wondering if he actually shared how he got the IP address. Did he break into, you're, hack you're into the, the Chrysler missing, computer no, 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 or what? The point is he had a car. He, yes. He, could, he knew the IP address of this car was because it was his car. It was his car, yes. Right. But how could you do this to somebody else's car that you don't know their right. IP and address? That's, that is the only, that's my point. Is That's the only thing that's preventing this thing from being exploited in the real world. Yes. Is, is that, that there's no way to get... It's hard to find out what the IP address of well, the that's what, is. Well, that's why I'm wondering... Is there a database somewhere yes. of these IP addresses, no and doubt. is that hackable? That well, that's different. For P- yeah, that's, that's what I'm wondering. That's pure straight IT. Yeah, I'm sure that. Yes, that I'm sure. does somebody at Chrysler have a database of these IP addresses on a computer that can get hacked into, yes. and these are made, you know, because, because, posted on the internet for people, right? Because for or excuse me, dot uh, Chrysler, whatever. Uh, Fiat Chrysler, right? They have to go out and they go to. Um, How do they protect that? You know, what do they do about this? It's oh, they're going to send out a thumb drive with an, a software update that will take care of, that will make a firewall separating the UConnect from <laughs> firewall. Okay, from any protection. Firewall always does the trick, huh? Well, until next one, really. <laughs> yeah, until so, somebody hacks anyway, through that. If you have bought a recent Fiat, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep. Dodge, Durango, uh, Jeep, Grand Cherokee. See if you are yes. uh, exposed. It says newer ones. Yeah. Okay. Which I think means like 2014. Well, those Grand Cherokees are pretty popular 2013 cars. and above. So 20- the Durangos are too. Yeah. So the, there's a, I'll put the link In up fact, I think, does your, I think your aunt might have a Durango. We'll have to ask. Yeah. It's probably not a newer one. Than All right, I'm going to cancel but... out my last story and just go to the right to this. So this will be our last story. Um, this is from you. What was our last story? I was going to do something about DARPA, but I'm going to skip here because we are way over time. Um, so there, we all know about Internet of Things. It's the idea that 
Yes, we've talked about that quite a bit. Connect to the internet and they can share data. Um, but here's the thing. So here's this, this, because everything is got a processor in it now, which means computing capability, not your, just like your computer, your, your internet of things device isn't always computing 24 seven, right? It's, yes. it's waiting for data. So, uh, there is a, a group of researchers, um, working on a system called Aura while working as a UAB team led by Rajib Hassan, which what is the UAB? It doesn't say is the university of uh, Alabama at Birmingham. There we okay. go. <laughs> um, so here's, here's the long story short of it is that um, say it's 20 years in the future. We all have smart cars. They're all internet of things mm-hmm. enabled. Uh, you're cruising down the road and you're, you know, it's driverless now. So you're working on your home, you're working on your report or your project um, and you've got to you've got to crunch a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Like I went, oh man, I've got to get this report done before I get to work. What Project Aura is, exper- is exploring is how can I use all these distributed um, processors that are in other people's Internet of Things that are not doing much work, and how can I basically offload my data, data. Yeah. and have those computers crunch the data for me and send back the results? Okay. It's, it's distributed computing, what we we do this today, because um, there's a thing called Fold at Home and Project SETI, Search uh, SETI And they brought, out, brought up the um, Google Web, the uh, where there is it Web? Amazon Web Services. Yes, where um, they rent out their server so right, space. So the idea is, right, so here's where it gets interesting, right? So I go, oh, how, okay, Lisa, don't worry. I'm going to put, I'm, I need to, I'm going to borrow your processor, which is going to affect your battery life. Yes. But... But I would get paid but for you using their, it. Their recommendation is you incentivize people by letting them get paid. And I would say, sure, go ahead. You want to use my so the I'll charge use, it up later. That's fine. Right. Is <laughs> you're driving down the road, you're in your house, you're working on stuff. Um, you know, now how does that processors. how does that work in a car though? Because well, in the future, every every car's going to be talking to. But how, but right? it's not going to affect your battery life or anything per se, correct? Right, minimal, right. Yeah, in a car, it would be more minimal. It would be more. But anyway, the idea is it's kind of this combination of big data, um, distributed computing, Internet of Things, but it's in a way that is like no one – I wasn't thinking of – it's very selfish. Internet of Things is there to make your life better and send data and get stuff. Yes. But the idea of, okay, we're going to build up this huge amount of framework or of infrastructure that's not going to be used 100% hundred percent of the time, these guys are thinking like, well, well, how can we use all that spare computing power to do other things? And I think that is pretty cool. Well, it's sort yeah. of like having solar cells on your house and selling the extra right. energy back to the electric company or something. Right. right? I just don't exactly. It's, it's kind okay. of in that vein. Um, I just, I mean, it's going to take a lot of security. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can see that to say, yeah, why don't you come hop on my, you Hop know, on my network. Because well, I mean, this is like you know my Nest thermostat. You know, it's got a it's got a microprocessor in there. It's got a microcontroller. It's not always computing data. Um, you know, if I open that up, then that again, bad guys can hack. This just makes it if you join in, it's just a, it, it. You know, you're taking away. There's another level of security concern. Um. You know, a bad person then could potentially go, oh, he's hack your thermostat. He's, he's, right? he, he subscribed to Project Aura, so he means his computer's a little bit less secure. So I'm going to go attack him because he's opened up yeah. a little bit of that kimono. I see that. Um, 
anyway, so from the realistic likelihood thing, it's one thing. From the geek nerd engineer side of me, it's like this is freaking awesome. The Internet of Things is really starting to catch on. Like, I read a story the other day about how New York City is going to be investing in trash cans with Wi-Fi access. Well, right. So I mean, so right. If you're so put, it's it, yeah. I mean, it really is starting to catch on. Right, because what's, what's the big level. cost of infrastructure, right? You know, the, the electronics is dirt cheap to get made. Um, what costs money is always in the infrastructure. Is so you've got to you've got to pay someone to go out there and install your hardware. Yes. Well, if you're going to go out and put out trash cans because you're going to do that anyway, because yeah, because you've got to have trash cans in New York if City. If you just bolt on a little Wi-Fi hotspot uh-huh. there, and when you go and and most of the time, they're strategically placed, right? Yes. You know, every corner block, um, you can build out. So I think it is cool that people are embracing that we need to build out the infrastructure so that we can do these other cool things like Project Org. Yeah. Um, but the infrastructure's got to be there first. We had basically we got to blanket the planet with with connectivity um, that's wireless and ubiquitous and fast and cheap. Okay. Anyway, we have way gone over. Yeah, especially when you add the first part to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, bear with us. Thank you uh, for dealing with the, the technology snafu there. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back in... Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Well, we should be catching up. We should next be week, next but we'll week, be, but... We'll be honest with ourselves. We're not going to be back for two weeks. I guess we'll just have to we'll see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, you can head over to steampowerpodcast.com on your favorite computer, laptop, smartphone, dumb phone, anything else. <laughs> we well, can't on a dumb phone. phone. Some of them have cheap web browsers, but I wouldn't recommend it. It costs a lot of money probably, yeah, probably for data too. use. Yeah. So um, head over there. He links to everything else we do. We'll have all the show notes up there here shortly. Um, yeah, especially if you're if you have a Fiat Chrysler, go check out. Make sure you're not on the list of potential. Well, vehicles. yeah, I mean specifically, it was the Jeep Grand Cherokee and the Dodge Durango. There was a more. There's a whole list. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I, on that story, it just pointed out um, those two. Yeah, so we'll send that up. Um, so we get that. Um, you got anything else to close us out with? Nope. Just uh, stay quirky. Stay and keep steamy. Keep it steamy. Keep it steamy yeah. and stay quirky. <laughs> Thank you all very much for watching, listening. Head over to steampowerpodcast.com. And until next time, we'll see you uh, in two weeks. So, Soon. Yeah. Yep. Quirky. Steam <laughs> out.